0: It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Jazz,
1: your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz.
2: Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: It is Locked On Jazz for the 6th of December. What do you want today? That is a big debate. Plus points gained. I have an idea what we'll do. You never know. We might pivot. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked On Jazz. Pow! How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers. Trying to make it. A better experience for you to be a fan of the Utah Jazz. Hope you're great. Funny, I, I have the show ready. It's sitting in front of me. We're gonna do points gained, um, which on Fridays, which we always do, which is fun. And I, I have two segments set up. And as I sat here about to start, I was like, I don't, I don't think the Jazz fan really wants this today. Like, I think we've been beat up enough, having lost five of six that. There's a feeling that maybe you don't want me telling you all the things that went wrong, right? Like, I just kind of feel like, all right, let's move on. Let's go play our next set of opponents and let's see what we can do. And um, so I do have two segments set up. I don't really want to belabor it anymore. I don't think you do either. Um, This is a big stretch of games coming for us. And, you know, Quinn's got to find a way and this group's got to find a way to come together uh, quickly because... Really, the irony of all of this, as badly as they're playing right now, is that not a lot's been lost. Now, you know, coming up here, we play Memphis, who's 26th in point differential, uh, 26th offensively and 22nd defensively. Then we play Oklahoma City, who actually, all right, they're average. They're 19th in the league in points differential, but they're 21st offensively and 14th defensively. Then we go to Minnesota, who's pretty good. They're 12th in differential, uh, but they're 18th and 13th overall. Then we play Golden State, who's awful. They're the worst team in the league, 30th, 29th, and 29th. Then we have Orlando after that, who uh, defense might cause us some problems, but uh, they're 10th in the league defensively. They're 24th in the league offensively. Then we head to Atlanta, who's 29th in the league, 28th in the league in offense, 28th in the league in offense. Then we go to Charlotte, who is 20th in the league offensively and 27th in the league defensively. Like, it's it's quite a little stretch here of seven games where the best off defense will play in the entire time is Orlando's 10th, Minnesota's 13th. We'll see the 29th, the 28th, the 22nd, the 27th, and the 14th ranked defenses, as well as I said, the 10th and the 13th ranked defenses. The offenses we're going to see are 29th, 28th, 26th, 20th, 24th, 18th, Uh, I forgot Oklahoma City's, I think I got 21st, like, there, there's a stretch here right now where all the numbers get can look better we can feel a great deal better about ourselves and if we don't then probably should be a lot more worried than we are right now having lost to the juggernauts we've lost to right like, we lost we played Milwaukee pretty well i do think by the way just side note the impact of playing Milwaukee in that game without Rudy and everybody giving extra to stay in that game and being that close i think wears you out Just that's the impact of injuries. It's not that day. It's it's going on forward. But, you know, Milwaukee's second and second. Lakers are fifth and sixth. Toronto's 11th in offense, fifth in defense. Indiana's 12th and eighth. They're the worst team we played. Philadelphia's 17th and fourth. Like, that was quite a stretch. I don't think I forgot anyone. I mean, that is... There are one, two, three, four teams in the NBA that are top ten in both categories. We played three of them. So the absolute contrast here. Now, at the end of it, if we go roll through these next seven games, I, I do think that you can't forget about what just happened, right? And the biggest difference might be that as the game goes on, we're not as... Bench-wise, as disadvantaged as we have been. Let me walk through this, if I can, without trying to be depressing. All right, Milwaukee game is strange. Rudy Gobert doesn't play. Um, but we're our starters, even with Tony Bradley, are plus one. We make our first substitution, which is Joe Ingles. In that stint, we go minus four. You're going to see where I'm going here. Then we go to the rest of the bench. We actually, that, the bench has a really good night against Milwaukee. Like, they actually kind of, right? We were ahead by 13 at one point. Um, so that game, hard to compare just because there's no Rudy in there. So let's go to Indiana. And this is really, sums up kind of where we are. So our our starting unit is in the first quarter of that game is plus three. We make our first substitution. Joe Ingles comes in, and we're minus three. And we all love Joe and you know, he's generally gets kind of a pass in what's going on here, but like Joe's still struggling too. Right. Um, that, that's, that is a part of our, that is a part of our issue right now. Uh, then when we go to the next stint, it just starts to kind of collapse. Um, we go back to the Joe lineup to close that half and go minus six. Okay. But so the starters were plus three and then it falls apart. And then for whatever reason, the second time through that lineup falls apart again. Starters in the third quarter are even. And then our bench unit actually is kind of okay, but as it all goes on by the end, it's not great, and it all all falls apart. Um, And actually, the lineup, kind of the the primary lineup that falls apart is is a somewhat, is not our starters. It's Jeff Green with a lot of our starters, and then Joe Ingles with a lot of our starters, and, and it kind of falls apart. But again, our starters... And, and what's strange to me is this group's inability once the bench comes in and loses the flow of the game to be able to find it again. So Indiana, it's not that right. Tra- we're plus three. By the end of the quarter, we're trailing. The starters come back. And they, they actually, the starters, by definition, the starters never come back out on the floor. The Joe Ingles, the O lineup, which we all love, or at least thought we did, comes back out and, and fails. And the starters come back out there even – the bench units take us where we go end up down further and, and end up being blown out. OK, so let's go to Memphis. We win. Let's go to Toronto. Starters weren't great. They were minus six. OK, Toronto just kicked our butt, but their starters stayed on the floor when our bench unit came in and their starters were plus 18. That game was over before they made a substitution. Then our starters were plus 16 in their stint in the third quarter. I mean, this gets kind of interesting in this sense. In the midst of, if we take out the Milwaukee game, and you just start analyzing our starters, against Indiana, they're plus three. Against Toronto, they're plus 10. Against Philadelphia, their first quarter, they were minus three. First substitution comes in is... Joe Ingles, they were even. Their second stint, they were they were even. First substitution came early, though. It was Emmanuel Moutier because I think Mike, I don't know why, because uh, for Royce O'Neal, he must have gotten in foul trouble. And then immediately we went to minus five. So in Philly, we were minus three. Against the Lakers, the starters were minus one and plus five for a plus four. So in not counting the Memphis game, which I can pull up if you want me to, but in the last four losses, our starters are plus 14, one on the floor. To me, that's pretty interesting. Like that really goes to the minute we're going to our bench is when things are falling apart. What to do about that? I don't know entirely, but we'll try to discuss it. We'll look back a little bit at the Laker game. I have all the film study I did. I just feel like it's kind of a downer. don't really feel like doing that. Today's show is brought to you by Intercap Lending. Steve Carter should be a Hall of Fame legend to you right now. Intercap Lending is a a Utah-based company. It's been in the lending business for 40 years. They've done incredible work with our Locked on Jazz uh, listeners And the cool thing that they've built is that when I sat down with Brock and Steve probably 18 months ago. And we were like, all right, well, what can we do to give Locked On Jazz listeners kind of a unique experience with this? And we said, all right, well, we're going to do two things. We're going to give the Locked On Jazz listener their own personal loan person. So that's Steve Carter. That is your person. If you're doing a refi, it's when I did my refi, it's who I used. Unbelievable. And you can reach Steve at 385-885-28, 385 hundred 8528 Then Brock said, well, let's also do that they have a corporate account. So all of you combine into one locked-on corporation. And in turn, that has allowed us to um, give you that deal. Jason Shepard, you probably know him, sports TV, radio personality, BYU Broadcasting, he says to me, "You're absolutely right about Steve and InterCap Lending." After talking to Steve for the first time on September 30th, we signed the papers for our refinance today. This was October 21st on our one-year-old home in Vineyard, in Utah, in Vineyard, in Utah County. Steve was polite, thorough—a guy of thorough of a guy uh, and a lender I've ever dealt with. He answered every question, followed up every time he said he would. Did it all without being pushy one bit. He was fantastic. Our experience with him was great. InterCap was great, and oh, we saved a nice chunk of change on our monthly mortgage. That is what Steve Carter is all about. And it's been totally consistent in time after time. Uh, Tom Goslin, our loan officer, was Steve Carter. Absolutely amazing to work with. We knew the process inside and out. He was so patient with all of our questions, and we had a lot. He was very quick to respond to our emails. Never made us feel stupid. I was working with another lender before Intercap, and they were only half as good. Thank you, Intercap Lending. Thank you, Steve. We're so excited to move into our new home. So Steve Carter's there for you. 385-800-8528. That's 385-800-8528. Intercap Lending, NMLS number 190465. For more information, visit intercaplending.com. what can we do to solve the bench problem the minute we take our starters out of the game things are things are really rough i mean that's that's pretty stunning right so plus 14 over those five losses that have been by mammoth amounts right we lost to indiana by 19 we lost to toronto by 30, 20 by the time it was done we lost to philly by, I guess, nine by the time it was done, and we lost to the Lakers by 25 by the time it was done. So you look at those, with our starters on the floor, we're plus 14, and the minute we have anybody but the starters on the floor, we're minus 87. So what can we do? Well, the tricky part to this is the fact that the minute we take one of our primary scorers, Conley Boyan and Donovan off the floor. We really struggle. So one is we do need, we need Joe to play a little bit better, not singling him out, but just that's true. Like the, he's a really vital piece in that sixth man. Cause he can ignite that. And maybe that's not a fair role for him. The, the second thing would be whether we do something with Mike to get him more touches. This is just an idea where he plays with the second unit. Um, plays with the ball in his hands, you move Moutier off the ball and let Mike see if he he regains his rhythm in that group. I mean, frankly, having Donovan out there in that group has not... It's gotten Donovan a lot of shots, but it's not a very productive way to use Donovan's minutes because the offensive rating's not very good in that circumstance. So it's you have to kind of wonder whether that's the most productive way to use Donovan. Um, I, when the year started, I thought that you matched Rudy... Conley and Donovan together the whole time and let Boyan go play with the second unit? Maybe you try that. Um, Again, the problem seems to be if we take one guy off the floor. Um, The radical idea is that you just play your starters together almost exclusively and then just decide the bench is not very good and try to struggle through 14 minutes a night and if Mike's playing 30, it's 18 minutes a night. That seems um... That seems pretty hard to swallow, um, and it might be one of those things that mathematically makes sense and in reality doesn't make sense. Um, there actually is some mathematical sense to it that you're better off having, you know, your best lineup on the floor for a longer period of time and then just kind of funneling through the rest of it. Um, I don't know what you know. You just turn it over to Emmanuel Moutier and let him go score. He's not. He's struggling a little bit. I. As I talked about yesterday with Dante, I, I feel like that might be a, a difficult time to ask him right now where, where he's been to do that. So I don't have a great answer to you on that. Tony Bradley's interesting in that he offensive rebounds and scores, and maybe that gives you, like, a, you steal a possession or two in that manner. Ed Davis is interesting because he does offensive rebound, and so he does steal you that possession or two. Uh, Tony Bradley's probably a little bit better on the pick and roll, and so that you actually can run an offensive play with him. But again, now you're playing one or the other there. Um, Like, I I mean, how radical do you want to get? Do you want to get to, you play Jarrell Brantley, Mia One, and like, I don't know, go with this crazy energy unit that just plays to bees to the wall and does crazy stuff because you're just playing so hard, even though you don't have any, t- you know, NBA, I don't know. Like it's hard. You got to figure out who your NBA talent is. Um, you know, Jeff, we're minus 16 per hundred possessions with Jeff green on the floor. So we're 10, 11 percentage points worse offensively when he's on the floor and six percentage, it's not percentage points, just per hundred possessions We're 11 points worse when he's on the floor offensively. And we're six points worse defensively. George Niang, who I would think could be an answer, particularly on the offensive end, because he's got those one-on-one offensive skills we saw last year in the playoffs. Our offense is actually 16 points worse with him on the floor than off the floor. And I actually do kind of think that he's the answer, honestly. Um, Ed Davis, our offense, really is struggling when he's on the floor. Joe Ingles, our offense is struggling when he's on the floor. But, I mean, these are just all the – right, this is the be- – I mean, you look at us and it's just like Emmanuel Mudiay has still got a positive differential, largely because our defense is better when he's on the floor, which I don't – I'm not sure I attribute to Emmanuel Mudiay, but maybe, give him credit, L- length, size, maybe he's doing some, some good things there. Um, So I don't – you know, it's an interesting mix and match here of trying to figure out – um how to find it and there is not anything numerically or performance wise that gives you an easy answer there all right let me quickly run through a few possessions from that film study and then we'll do um, then we'll do our uh, points gained today thank you Uh, I don't want to I don't want to overburden this one and overplay it Um, it's interesting to me first play of the game perfect execution focused there perfect it's 11-9 Ingles has a no pass Uh, possession he misses a wide open Jeff Green and in turn everyone lollygags uh, lollygags back Ingles is on Gobert's man Ingles gets all the way back after the no pass position and he's on McGee who's in the post so Ingles is now guarding the post Gobert turns at half court and starts backpedaling he doesn't sprint back at which point he would have noticed that Joe Ingles was guarding his man and bumped out. Instead, he kind of turns at half court, backpedals back to the mid-range area to kind of build his wall, and it ends up leaving Danny Green wide open for a three, and really Rudy, if anyone, was the one who should have bounced out, but Rudy's job is always to uh, kind of build that wall, and that just, that a little bit, is like there's no communication there, right? So uh, Rudy sprints back. Joe could have yelled him, said, hey, bump me out, Joe gets out to Danny Green. There's just there wasn't any, um, there wasn't any communication there at all, and it's just like that's a lack of togetherness, and I think that's related to the lack of ball movement on the previous possession. I've always, I've always felt that way. Um, the uh, then there's no connection. On um, uh, next possession, uh, there's another. They play. Donovan comes off a touch action where they hand Jeff Green to touch back, but they don't pass again. So now it's only two possessions in a row without a pass and both misses. And now Boyan Bogdanovich and Jeff Green miscommunicate on back-to-back pick and rolls between Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Um, It's not clear necessarily. The first one, Boyan Bogdanovich is killed on a pick, so I have a hard time believing Jeff Green's not supposed to switch. The next one, AD uh, slips. It's a little bit more complicated it's 16 15 at this point now and another no pass possession drive donovan misses the drive and the layup he does get to the to the basket and then they run out the other way and they get a three out of it and so now all of a sudden you're down four and then frankly anthony lebron goes and sits down ed davis comes in and anthony davis just dominates the game he just ed davis can't guard anthony davis like no kidding that's where they have two of the five best players in the world and they're just better than we are. Um, you know, it's 30-26 at the end of one and then we just completely butcher the end of the first quarter. We allow a, a three, then Joe Ingles goes way too early. They hit another three and next thing you know, you're down, instead of being down four, you're down ten or not? I think it was down nine. So, I have other thoughts. I just don't want to. I just don't think you want to be belabored by all of it at this point. like there's just it doesn't do anyone any good. But you know, if I isolate these these four things there, too many no pass possessions, which often lead to bad transition defense because either that's natural or everybody wants to touch the ball so much that they're losing their engagement the other way back. Two, I did say yesterday, I thought it was interesting that on the lack of communication issues, usually the guy that was the loudest was wrong. So there's an instinct to point right now rather than to look inward. Uh, The no pass possessions lead have led to bad transition defense. And then, frankly, in that game, some of their guys were great. Murdoch Hyundai has fabulous lineup of SUVs for you right now. The Palisade is the one that is taking everyone by storm. It is the new eight-seater, which actually, I realized, very similar to what we purchased uh, when we bought the Santa Fe. Uh, it's got the three rows of seats, uh, all the bells and whistles, super nice, uh, and everyone is talking about how great the Palisade has been. The Santa Fe is the regular-sized SUV that uh, we actually bought. I've, purchased, I've driven a bunch of times. Terrific. Tucson, and then there's the Zippy Little Kona. That's the SUV lineup uh, that exists and is so impressive um, at Murdoch Hyundai. Murdoch Hyundai is located in Logan and in Linden and at 4646 South State Street. Uh, stop by, but tell us first. Let me know that you're going to Murdoch Hyundai so that we can uh, get you set up and treated as you should be as the you know executive VP, stud of all studs, uh, that you are. The Sonata and the Elantra are out as well. The new Sonata is taking names and uh, having big things taking place. So email me at DLock09 at gmail.com. Before you head over to Murdoch, if you're looking for a car, make sure you include the Hyundai on your list. I think you'll be blown away by what you get for the dollar. And then we'll have Blake or Jason or Ben or one of the really good guys down there help you out uh, with your visit. So make sure you email me. DLock09 at com to find out more about Murdoch Hyundai and what they can do for you.
2: Hi, this is Nate Duncan from Locked On's Hollinger and Duncan podcast. Those of you who listen to our show know that I try to take a measured approach I'm not prone to hyperbole. It really takes something special to get me excited. But with all that said, Theragun is simply one of the best products that I have ever used. I just turned 40. I've always loved to work out, to play basketball when it's safe. And as I got into my 30s, it just wasn't possible to do that anymore the way I wanted to because my body didn't feel right. And Theragun has helped me fix so many of the aches and pains. i tried everything, massages, chiropractors, this at-home device handheld percussive therapy has worked better than any of those for me and now the all-new gen 4 theragun has a proprietary brushless motor it's so quiet it's no louder than an electric toothbrush and best of all you can try theragun risk-free for 30 days there's no substitute for the theragun gen 4 with an oled screen personalized theragun app and the quiet and power you need starts at only $199 go to theragun.com locked on the name of this network right now and get your gen 4 theragun theragun today that's theragun.com slash locked on theragun.com slash locked on
1: it's a friday by the way so anthony and adam's locked on nba show is up and out they always do a lot of fun things all right let's play a little points gained right now see who the uh best players in the league are i didn't do last 10 games probably should but we're only at 20 for the season so james harden is far and away the number one offensive player in the league right now far and away It's really incredible. His points gained is a 4.7. The last player to have an offensive season this good was Steph, who was at 4.7 in the 17-18 season. Steph's 15-16 season was a 5.8. That is the only season better uh, that I can find than what James Harden is doing right now. Uh, He is using 30 possessions a night. He is plus 4.7. It's why the Rockets win. He's just that great. Carl Anthony Towns is number two in the NBA at 3.6 points gained. If you're new to points gained, points gained is the points that you score with your scoring opportunities more than what an average player would with the same possessions. Largely from a team-building standpoint, the premise is that if you can keep all your players at average, you'll be very, very good. You'll be great. You'll be championship caliber. And the other premise is that negative is far more uh, disastrous than people realize. And the third premise is that if you have a negative player and you actually distributed their 16 possessions to average players, you'd be better off. That's Minnesota and Andrew Wiggins fears. So here are the top 10. James Harden is at 4.7. Carl Anthony Towns at 3.6. Devin Booker is at 3.0. I got a great question of why is Devin Booker so much better than Donovan Mitchell on this. Uh, Giannis Atatokounmpo is 3.0. Luka Doncic is 3.0. So we usually have three guys at 3.0. Right now we have five. Uh, Worth mentioning, Aaron Beans is at 2.6, and the minute he stopped playing, they stopped winning. Paul George is at 2.5. Neither of them have played enough. Sacramento has been playing better because Rashawn Holmes is now playing center. He's 2.4. There's great value to the dunk. Uh, Gordon Hayward was a 2.4 in his eight games before being hurt. Davis Bertans in Washington is a 2.3. Damian Lillard is a 2.3. Mo Wagner in Washington is a 2.3. I loved me some Mo Wagner. Uh, Kyle Lowry, limited time, 2.2. Rudy Gobert plus 2.2. Trey Young plus 2.2. I kind of dismissed Trey Young a tiny bit because of how much they're losing in uh, Lockdown NBA this week, and that was wrong. Evan Fournier, plus 2.2, which he has never been before. Um, He's having a great year. Danilo Gallinari, plus 2.2. Memphis's Brandon Clark, plus 2.2. J.J. Redick, 2.1. Jared Allen, 2.1. Boyan Bogdanovich of Utah, 2.0. And P.J. Tucker, 2.0. Those are the players that are above 2.0. Um, And there aren't many of them, right? So that's a big, big deal if you're above two. Let's go. Who are the players that are below two? We'll start at two. Marco Bellinelli, minus 2.1. John Hollinger on Hollinger and Duncan wondered who Marco Bellinelli had pictures of in San Antonio to get him time. Uh, Dennis Smith in New York is a minus 2.1. Karis Levert is a minus 2.3. Everybody's talked about how they're playing better because Kyrie Irving's hurt. I think they're playing better because Karis Levert is hurt and he's not minus 2.3. Kobe White, minus 2.3. These players are all negative enough that they wash out the best offensive players in the league that we just talked about. Uh, Theo Pinson in Brooklyn is a minus 2.5. Jarrett Culver in Minnesota, minus 2.6. Cam Reddish in Atlanta, minus 2.8. Welcome to the rookies. Dwayne Bacon in Charlotte, a minus 3.0. Miami was playing better with Justice Winslow out because he's a minus 3.1. R.J. Barrett is a minus 3.1. Eric Gordon was a minus 3.5 before playing much. Russell Westbrook, minus 3.7. If they were to distribute his 23 scoring opportunities amongst average players, they would be 3.7 points better or maybe 12 or 13 wins. Jordan Poole is the worst in the NBA at minus 3.8. All right, let's take a look at your Utah Jazz. We did do a little of this earlier in the week, so I'm going to fly through this. Hopefully you heard it when we did it earlier in the week. Um... Rudy is 2.2. Boyan is 2.0. Tony Bradley is 0. 0.6. He's played, you know, 16 games now. That's an interesting number. Like, he's actually... Royce O'Neal's a 0. 0.6. That is great for exactly who he is. George Niang is a 0. 0.3. Though we talked about the offense itself has not been better when he's on. Dante is even. Uh, Emmanuel Mudiay is a minus 0. 0.3. Ed Davis is a minus 0. 0.4. Jeff Green is a minus 0. 0.5. And that's going to line 12% of the time. So that's impressive. He gets to the line 12% of his possessions. Donovan Mitchell is a minus 0.9. Nigel Williams Goss is my Joe Ingalls a minus one and Mike Conley a minus 1.8. So that is, you know, those three right there is where the offense struggles. And yet it's not when they're on the floor. All right. So why is Devin Booker so much better than Donovan Mitchell? Statistically, Uh, Donovan's shot chart is 57% twos, 25% threes, 9% of trips to the line, and then he turns it over 9% of the time. He is shooting 44% from the field, 37% from three, and 83% from the line. Let's compare this to Devin Booker. Devin Booker is taking 49% of his shots as twos, so he's 8% less of his shots as twos. Interestingly about Devin Booker is, or 8% of his possessions list, he takes the same rate of threes, and his free throw rate is only up 1%. He just turns it over a tremendous amount. 17% of the possessions that end in Devin Booker's hands end in a turnover. Crazy high number. We do not criticize him for that on points gained. In fact, looking it over, um, Mo Wagner is higher. Rudy Gobert and Trey Young are about the same, and that's about it. Alonzo, uh, Alonzo Treyer in New York is at 22%. But the difference is the Devin Booker's three point shooting goes from 38, 37 to 41, which is a big jump. His free throw shooting, they go to the line about the same amount of time, but Booker makes 95% of his free throws to Donovan's 83. And Devin Booker is shooting 51% from the field. Um, And Donovan shooting 44. What would be interesting here, and I'm now going to do this, is their shot charts are really pretty similar. In the sense that, I'm going to look at it just from just scanning it there. So if we look at Donovan Mitchell's shot frequency, Donovan's shooting 25% at the rim, which is down from 31% his rookie year. 29% of his shots are short mid. 17% of his shots are long mid. And 29% of his shots are threes. Okay? So I'll say that again, just as we compare it here in a moment to Devin Booker. Devin Booker's shots... This is on the fly. We didn't plan on doing this. Devin Booker is shooting 34% of his shots at the rim. So that's 9% more of his shots on twos are at the rim than Donovan's. He's taking 18% of his shots as short mid-range. Donovan's taking 29% of those shots. They're both taking the same percentage of shots as long mid-range shots. And then they're both taking the same amount of shots as threes. So really, Devin Booker is taking nine percentage taking nine percent of his shots at the rim where Donovan is taking those exact same shots as floaters. Devin Booker shoots seventy one percent at the rim. Devin Booker's also six six, by the way. This really might be the difference. Or at least and Donovan's six one. In this case, they're listed 6'3". Donovan, on the floater, shoots 36%. So Devin Booker's taking nine shots and moving him to 71% category. Donovan's at 58% on those. And Donovan's taking 9% and moving him to 36%. And that's the reason. That is the sole reason. There's not actually a lot more to it. And that's why Devin Booker comes out better on points gained and one of the leaders in the league. Um, The Orlando Magic and the Charlotte Hornets I was asked about and the Phoenix Suns. Let me just quickly do those before I get a phone call from the guys at the zone to do my regular show. So let's look at the Orlando Magic. Evan Forney, the Charlotte Hornets. Those are just not names you usually get asked. And the Phoenix Suns. Um, I got asked about the guys who replaced. I mean, Derek isn't playing. It feels so bad for him. His mom passed away, just hasn't played. So Phoenix, Devin Booker, 3.0. Aaron Baines, 2.6. DeAndre Ayton, who has played one game. Uh, Chick Diallo, 2.1. Cameron Johnson, the rookie, 0.7. Give him credit. He's been great. Mikel Bridges, 0.2. Javon Carter, 0.1 is their backup point guard. Kelly Oubre is a minus 0.2. Dario Sarge is a minus 0.3. Frank Kaminsky is a minus 0.4. That's just such a huge drop from Aaron Baines. Tyler Johnson, who I've always really liked, is a minus 0.6. Ricky Rubio is a minus 1.5. So he's almost exactly Mike Conley. Uh, He's shooting 39% from the field and 31% from three. And Ty Jerome, their rookie, is a minus 1.5. Charlotte in Orlando, you asked, which is unique. Oh, the zone is on the line right now. All right, I will do Orlando, and then i got to go jump and do my interview. Evan Fournier is a 2.2. That is their only positive player on their roster. It's why their offense is bad. Mar- Markel Fultz is a minus 0.2. Jonathan Isaac, a minus 0.4. Mobaba minus point six. 0.6. Terrence Ross, minus 0.7. DJ Augustine, minus 0.8. Aaron Gordon, minus 0.9. That's terrible for Aaron Gordon. Uh, Nikola Vukovic, minus 1.1. Michael Carter-Williams, always negative, minus 1.6. Al Farouk minus 1.8. That is Locked on Jazz. Now tell your smart device to play podcast. Most recent episode of podcast Locked on NBA. Get Anthony and Adam. Plus, rejecting the screen, did a fun sit-down going ISO with Kenny Anderson. So go grab that over the weekend. Have a great one. This has been Locked on Jazz. Hopefully we'll have some fun news to talk to you about on Monday.